Open your Bibles this morning to John, John chapter 10. John chapter 10. And I cannot tell you how good it is to see you all look down and reach for your sword. Reach for your Bible uh, this morning. Uh, so I'm trusting that's what you were doing. But if you, if you did not bring it this morning, that's okay. You got a pew Bible in front of you where you can find it. It is so, so helpful and so important for you to see um, where my thoughts come from this morning. Because if I, my thoughts are not important. It's, I have nothing to say outside of what God has to say through His Word. And so, it is so important for you to be following along there as we read that. John chapter 10, be the second half of the Good Shepherd. And that is uh, verses 11 through 21. The Good Shepherd, part 2 this morning. I will start reading at verse 11. I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold, and I must bring them also. They will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one has taken it from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. Verse 19, a division occurred again among the Jews because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, these are not the sayings of one demon-possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? Lord, I just ask your blessing upon the reading of your word. And now as we spend the next 30 minutes or so reviewing them, looking through them, studying them, would you illuminate our minds and our hearts, Lord, that we can um, know how to apply it? Lord, it has one meaning, so I pray that you would help us to understand it, and not just understand it, but then also to know how to apply it and make it applicable for our daily life. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. The Good Shepherd, Part 2. So how do you see the Good Shepherd? What picture comes to mind as you think about the Good Shepherd being Jesus, the Good Shepherd throughout the biblical text, the Good Shepherd, as I might have mentioned last Sunday, or maybe it was the Sunday before, of the picture of a shepherd uh, holding a little lamb in his arms on a nice green pastured hillside somewhere. What picture comes to your mind as you think of and you see the Good Shepherd? Is it maybe someone like a Mr. Rogers? Someone who is a very gentle, a very soft-spoken, a very meek-type person. Shepherds are typically not always seen as tough, are they? At least in my mind, often when we portray Jesus or we portray the Good Shepherd, it is someone that is mild and someone that is meek and someone that is maybe very passive in life or in how they function and how they operate. But if we think about, the, about David as a shepherd boy, 
King David as a shepherd boy who was written off because he was nothing but a young shepherd. And as he faced the giant, as he faced Goliath, as a depiction of, of Jesus, as he faced Goliath there, and uh, he said, look, he said, I can handle Goliath. Maybe I'm just a shepherd, but I had to face the lions, I had to face the bears, and I took care of them as I was protecting my flock, as I was protecting my sheep. So surely this Philistine, surely this man, I can handle also with God's help. So to be a good shepherd, the shepherd must have a warrior's heart. That is something that we don't often think of when we think of the good shepherd. A shepherd must have a warrior's heart, a heart that is willing to lay your life down, to lay his life down on behalf of the sheep. So we started out our study of the 10th chapter of John with the good shepherd part one, of course, and, and have we seen that the good shepherd, he leads his sheep. He doesn't drive the sheep with whips or with, with dogs or anything like that, but he, he leads his sheep. And we also seen that not only does the good shepherd lead his sheep, doesn't drive them, but leads them, but he also guards them. He guards them from those who are false shepherds, those who are non-shepherds, and he also guards them from the enemy, guards them from those who want to come in like the lion, like the bear. Here Jesus is making the comparison with the wolves, and he guards them. So the good shepherd is also the protector of the flock. And so today we will see the third quality of the good shepherd. And that is that the good shepherd is willing to lay his life down for the sheep. Not just any shepherd is willing to do this, but the true shepherd, a true shepherd is willing to lay down the life for the sheep. And so today we're just going to go through these verses and not spend a lot of time on any particular one, I don't think, and just kind of go through them and walk through the different qualities that we see of the good shepherd who is willing to lay down his life for the sheep. And the first thing, obvious, it seems to be quite obvious, and that is that it's a true shepherd. The true shepherd in verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. See it in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. And that should remind us of last week in verse 9 where Jesus said, I am the door. I am the door. So this word M, this is in the indicative position. This is not something that is subjective. This is not something that is just suggested. This is not something that is just a, a maybe. I mean, this is no I am. This is emphatic. I am the good shepherd. I'm not anyone else. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. Jesus is making a, a, a claim that he's calling, that he's saying is a factual claim that only the true shepherd can make. Jesus is the true shepherd, it continues, and he lays down his life for them. And he's saying that only I, only the true shepherd, can protect his flock by laying down his life on behalf of the sheep. No false shepherd is going to do that. No false shepherd is going to lay down their life on behalf of sheep that aren't even their sheep. And that brings us to the second, and that is, of course, the false shepherd. So there's the, the true shepherd, and then Jesus is pitting that against the, the, the false shepherd of verses 12 and 13, where we see that there's, a, there's the false shepherd, and these are the qualities of the false shepherd. The false shepherd, he's a hired hand. The false shepherd is not even a shepherd at all, but disguises as a shepherd. We could read into that, the first line of verse 12. And then the third is that he's not an owner. He's not an owner of the sheep. 
So he has no stake in the flock. He has, no, he, he has no vested interest in the flock other than what he can get from that flock. And so the true shepherds are, 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 are opposite or opposed to the false shepherds. There are shepherds who are fully committed to the sheep. And then there are shepherds who are only interested in themselves. In Acts chapter 20, Paul warned of shepherds as he leaves the church, as he moves on and, and goes on in, in the context of Acts 20. Uh, if I re- remember that context correctly, um, he, he was going to be moving on. His, he was off to prison. His life was in, in, in danger. He's going to be, be leaving from that church, and others were going to be coming in. And he says, look, there's people within the church that are going to rise up and lead you astray. These are those false shepherds. These are those that are not even shepherds that we see in verse 12. Paul warns of those that have the cloak of being a shepherd and are not the shepherd at all. And Paul is warning the people of what is to come. Paul is warning that those who are going to come in and lead you astray. And he says, when things get hard and when things get tough, the false shepherd flees. See, the false shepherd is there. He's in it to get it, right? He's in it to get whatever they can get out of it and nothing else. And as soon as things get hard, that shepherd finds an exit strategy and is gone. He flees and leaves the sheep alone. Well, there's also another sign of the false shepherd. Um, And that is not only does the false shepherd just flee physically, we could say, But there's also a false shepherd, as we make an application here this morning, there's also a false shepherd that flees when it comes to doctrine, right? He will will flee. He will let the shepherds just, he'll let the sheep, he'll let the people of the church believe whatever they want to believe. He'll just keep them comfortable. He'll keep them happy. And as long as the sheep are happy, the shepherd is happy and leads them astray. They will not dig into the hard doctrinal things. And we see it in our churches all over the place. They're unwilling to go there because the stakes are too high. The cost is too high for that shepherd. That's a false shepherd who will not, who will not teach the Word of God because it is too costly in many environments to do that. And Jesus says that's a false shepherd. You may not flee physically, but you are fleeing when it comes to the doctrinal teachings of the biblical text. That's a false shepherd, verses 12 and 13. Now you see the, 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 the um, true shepherd is a relational shepherd. We see it in verses 14 and, and 15. It says, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. So this is, this is a relationship that the shepherd has with the sheep. The sheep know the shepherd. The shepherd knows the sheep. But it's based on more, Jesus says, even as I, or even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So this is a relational relationship that the true shepherd has with his sheep. He calls them by name in verse 3, as we've seen last week. And this relationship is based on the relationship of Jesus and his Father. It's a father-son relationship that this is modeled after. And because of his relationship with Jesus, because of this relationship, Jesus, the good shepherd, is willing to lay down his life for the sheep. says, I am willing and I lay down my life for the sheep. In verses uh, 1 all the way through verse 21, we see that little phrase four times. 
And I'll just give you the references and you can jot them down if you want or find them easy enough yourself. But in verse 11, 15, 17, and 18, four times, verses 11, 15, 17, and 18, where Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. Well, the shepherd is a relational shepherd. The good shepherd is also a productive shepherd. It's a productive shepherd in verse 16. Have you, did you notice that when we read that? I have other sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. They're not of this flock. They're not here yet. And he says, I must bring them also. And they will hear my voice. And they will become one flock and one shepherd. There is only one flock and there is only one shepherd. As I said a couple weeks ago, maybe last week, I don't remember that either. But there's many there's many people that want to teach you. The false shepherd, I may add, wants to teach you that there's multiple ways to God, and there is not. There is only one way. I am the way, the truth, and life, Jesus says. It is only through this good shepherd. There's only one flock, and there is only one shepherd. And so not only does the good shepherd know those who are currently in the fold, he knows those who are there, but he knows those who will come to the fold. He knows those who are going to come, and Jesus says, I must go get them. In fact, in the high priestly prayer, in Jesus' prayer to the Father in John chapter 17, Jesus prays for them who are yet to come, right? Jesus prays for those who are going to become part of the true flock. In John 17, He prays to the Father on their behalf. Jesus knows His followers before His followers know who they are. They know, Jesus knows his followers before the followers even know they're going to follow him. This is the effectual work. I was going to switch words on you and go from productive to effectual. This is the effectual work of the productive shepherd. Jesus says, I laid down my life. I took the initiative to do that. Jesus did not lay down his life just so people have an opportunity Jesus did not just lay down His life just in case some want to come. Jesus laid down His life because He knew who those were who were actually going to come. Jesus laid down His life on purpose for a purpose for those who were going to come. This is the effectual, or this is the productive work of the shepherd. We also see that the good shepherd is a secure shepherd. He's a secure shepherd in verses 17 and 18. If we look at verses 17 and 18 in our text here, it says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one lays it down, or nobody has taken it from me, but I I lay it down on my own so that I can take it up again. There are some who want to teach that the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, was just the inevitable event that happens when somebody rises up against and wants to fight against the government, wants to fight against the religious systems that are in place, and therefore, obviously, Jesus is going to be kept. So it's not the death that we need to focus upon on Jesus. No, 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 don't focus on that. Focus on the the life of Jesus. But Jesus would, would directly speak against that by saying, no, that is wrong. I laid down my life on purpose for a purpose. Nobody took it from me. Nobody decided to take my life for me. No, the good shepherd swapped places with the sheep, if you will, and laid down his life intentionally for the sheep. says it over and over and over in the biblical text. In John chapter 19, where Jesus is before Pilate, as he's on trial before Pilate, and Jesus says, look, Pilate... 
you know, you have no authority except the authority that is given to you from God. I mean, you may think you're going in charge here. You may think that you're going to take my life from me. You may think that you're going to convict me of a crime that I didn't even do. But it's only because God has given you that permission to do that. Matthew chapter 26, Jesus says also in Matthew's account of the trial of Jesus, he says, look, I could appeal to the Father and I could call a whole army of angels who would come here on my behalf. Jesus is quite clear over and over and over again. He laid down his life on purpose for a purpose for his sheep, not the sheep, but for his sheep. And Jesus could have, but he didn't. He was faithful to his father and laid down his life for his sheep. Listen, I think that's one of the tenets of the Christian faith that we must hold on to. I would call it an essential Nobody accidentally took Jesus' life from him. Jesus' life wasn't just the outcome of a, of a moral good life that was laid. No, it was on purpose from the beginning of time. This was the plan that he would lay down his life. It was intentional, the words of Jesus, that he was going to do this. But it must then, it must then cause a response from you and I. If this is the good shepherd and the good shepherd did this intentionally, this must also then be reciprocated in us not to earn that right, but because of what the Good Shepherd has done on our behalf. In Philippians 2.8, Jesus was obedient to the death, even death on a cross. And therefore, in John chapter 14, why? So that the world may know. So that the world may know. John 15, therefore keep my commandments, even as I have kept my Father's commandments. Jesus says, look, I laid down my life intentionally because that was the Father's desire. Therefore, you do the same. You do the same. We too are asked. We too are asked to lay down, surrender our life, our rights and our will. Just as Jesus laid down his. Can I do that? Can you do that? Can we do that? Put aside my wants, my wishes, my desires, and do as even as Jesus did. He could have, he, he wouldn't have had to do some of these things. You know, that's the kind of vernacular, that's the kind of language we hear so often, don't we? Well, I don't have to do this and I don't have to do that. You're right. You don't have to, right? But for following Jesus, and we will do things even if we don't have to for the sake of the sheep, for the sake of the flock. You see, Jesus was not a passive victim. The result is a victory over the enemy in the, for, in, in, in the form of a, of a slain lamb. And I see I have a little bit of time. And so I'm going to turn there this morning to, John, or to Revelation chapter 5. I've been spending a lot of time working through the letter of Revelation. For some reason, all of a sudden, uh, I'm fascinated with this letter. Um, and um, it's like I'm reading it for the first time. And, and if you look at Revelation chapter 5, it's the beginning of the, the letter. It's the beginning of this revelation. You know, see, often we just see Revelation as apocalyptic literature, and it is. And often we just see the stuff that is yet yet to come, and, and some of it is, but some of it is also, and most of it is also for people who are currently living in a very dire situation. 
They were living in a time where fierce persecution. It's not that they just had to wear masks. That's not persecution. But they were literally losing their life and laying down their life for the shepherd even as Jesus did. And as, and as, and as John has, has revealed this revelation to him, in John chapter 5, as he comes along and, and he comes up to the seventh seal. Seventh is a, is, is a number of perfection, right? And so seventh is, we could consider it as glorification, as the final result of our sanctification, right? And so here, nobody could do it. It says that, oh, I seen the seventh seal, and the seventh seal came before me, and there was nobody in heaven, under the heaven, in the seas, in the earth, nowhere that could open this soul or open this seal. And so John says, I started weeping. And he says, oh, no, somebody, uh, an angel from beside the throne came and said, John, John, don't weep. Don't weep. No, no, no. Why don't weep? Well, verse 5, stop weeping. The lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seal. It says, no, it's this, it's this lion, it's this lamb that was slain, this lamb that laid down his life that made it possible that that seal could be opened. Verse 9, worthy are you to take the book and break its seal, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every t- tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Worthy are you to take the book and break its seal. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Verse 12, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. See, this, this, this is possible because of Jesus' faithfulness because of Jesus' obedience to God. To God. Jesus laid down His life on behalf of His sheep, on behalf of us. The shepherd took on the role of the sheep so the sheep may have eternal life. Eternal life. Well, I want to um, look at one more not aspect or quality of the good shepherd, but I should say of the the result of it. And it's still before us today, right? I mean, that is verses 19 through 21. In verses 19 through 21, we see the divisive shepherd. We see the divisive shepherd. So the division occurred again among the Jews because of these words. Many of them were saying, he's got a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, there are not, these are not the sayings of one that is demon possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind. And this is the question that is before us today that we must ask, answer. Is Jesus insane or is Jesus God? Is Jesus insane or is Jesus God? See, this is often nuanced by saying, well, you need to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Even that language is problematic. Number one, we're not... Let me just back up. We must be followers of Jesus and set that aside. We must be followers of Jesus. To accept Jesus and make Him my own personal Savior flies directly against the Lamb that was slain. We must surrender our life and lay it down and be followers of Him. Not just accept Him on our behalf, 
But no, we too must be slain. We too must have our life totally surrendered to God. This is the problem that they had. They didn't want to do that. They didn't want to do that. It says, he talks as though he is God. Therefore, he's obviously insane. Right? That's the conclusion you could have. The other would be, he talks as though, as though he is God. Therefore, he is God. He's one or the other. He's either insane or he is God. And that becomes very, very divisive. I want to flip back just a little bit to the blind man because it ends up with that's the whole point. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So I just want to go back and remind you again of this blind man whose eyes were opened. And as he was before these Jewish, as he was before these religious leaders, and they couldn't quite figure out what happened to this man that his eyes were opened, and they couldn't quite figure out what happened or who this person was that this blind man claims opened his eyes. And the blind man says, wow, well, is this not an amazing thing? that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes? Verse 33, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. You see, there's a big difference between accepting Jesus, accepting his nice ways, accepting the picture that we want to paint for Jesus, and totally following Jesus. That was the problem with these religious leaders. They were not interested in following Jesus. They were interested in accepting as long as Jesus could fit into their tradition, fit into their ways of doing things, which was certainly not working on the Sabbath. And then they could accept that, but they couldn't. So they said, obviously, he has a demon. But how you interpret the evidence here of Jesus determines your view of Jesus. See, how you read the text, how you understand and how you interpret these things determines your view of Jesus. In John chapter 7, verse 43. In John chapter 9, verse 16. And then in our text here today, John chapter 10, 10 verse 19. A division occurred because of him. A division occurred because of him. <laughs> That's just in John we see that the good shepherd is a divisive shepherd. We don't often like to see it in those terms, but he is. Jesus said it numerous times. I'll only give you one reference as a, to cite uh, here this morning, and that is in Luke chapter 12, verse 50, 51, when it says, Jesus says this, he says, do not suppose, I didn't come to bring peace on earth. No, I tell you, no, but rather division. Jesus caused us, and Jesus came not to bring peace, not to bring uh, all sides together at all costs, but that we must choose, that you must choose who you will serve this day, as Joshua had said. See, there will always be those earthly shepherds who just go along to keep the peace, right? We must keep the peace, and keeping the peace should be good but not at the expense of the sheep, not at the expense of biblical doctrine. See, we are left with a choice on what shepherd to follow. I mean, the choice is ours. The good shepherd isn't going to force anyone per se to follow. His choice is yours. Who are you going to follow? What are you going to believe? The true shepherd or the false? 
Either Jesus is an agent of God or Jesus is an agent of Satan. It's quite, it's quite clear. The choice is clear. There is no indifference. And so we remember this morning as we come to the Lord's table, this is why we came. We come to the Lord's table remembering that the good shepherd laid down his life on behalf of the sheep. And he asks you to do the same. By us receiving and remembering what God has done, what Jesus has done on our behalf, we're doing the same, right? We're also committing to him as he committed to us that we too will lay down our life and follow him in all of life. If it fits into our plan or not. Those who heard, Jesus says, those who hear, they will come. Have you heard? Have you heard the call of the Good Shepherd here this morning? As we pray for communion, communion is something that is done collectively as a group and yet done individually. And so maybe I'll just say this at this point for those who may be watching at home. We don't do communion by ourselves. That's not how communion is done. But in this context, I understand some are concerned to come this morning. And so what I think I will do is I'm going to leave some of our cups here this morning in the prayer room. And if you want to swing by the prayer room and, 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 and have communion there, we certainly under, would understand that. We want you to be part of us here this morning also. But communion is something that is done as a group of people. See, see it's between us and God, and we're doing it with others, and others are holding us accountable for the commitments that we're making. As we come to the Lord's table, we are given the right for others to speak into our life, and others are giving us the right to speak into their life as we come and attempt and try to follow Jesus faithfully together. Lord, I thank you this morning for your word. And, um, and Father, it um, can be hard truths. It can be hard to understand what it actually looks like sometimes to follow you in all of life. And Father, we like to see the Jesus who holds the little lamb. And we fail to see the Jesus who was a warrior, who divided the sheep from the goats. Father, I pray this morning as we come to your table, this is yours. We come by your invitation, not by anyone else, but by yours. Father, may we be able to do that this morning faithfully. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.